Okay, this is episode two of Healthspan, and this is also part two of The Circadian Code by Dr. Sachin Panda. So if you listen to part one, you realize how our circadian code works, and in this part two, you're going to learn how to hack it. So he states that we want to eat when we metabolize foods the most efficiently. We want to be active when our brain and our body are functioning at their peak level, and we also want to get the right amount of sleep so that we can do it all again tomorrow. So the chapter four, the first, the first chapter in part two, we're really discussing sleep. So when you go to bed at night, you think that's the end of, end of your day. But in, in actuality, the human body begins to get ready for the day the night before. So he states that just like we start off the year with a celebration on December 31st, sleep is the beginning of our biological day, not the end. So if you can re- rejuvenate yourself at night, uh, you can essentially be more productive the next day. So this entire chapter is all about sleep. He goes into the stages of sleep like N, N1, N2, N3, and these stages of sleep versus REM. And if you want a better book to understand more about sleep and everything sleep-related, I recommend reading Dr. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. That book is a lot more detailed about sleep. So I don't want to get into too much about sleep but he, he he's just talking about sleep debt and uh, sleep and longevity and how there's this u-shaped curve between sleeping too much and sleeping not enough so if you think about the two ends of the spectrum neither are good for you so you want this happy medium which he says is about seven to eight hours so again he's doing this self-assessment with you when you're reading the book he asks are you sleeping well so the first question to consider is when you go to bed And how long does it take for you to fall asleep? So for an average person, you should be falling asleep within 20 minutes. So 20 minutes is that time, hopefully less, but by 20 minutes, you should be asleep. And during those 20 minutes when you're you're falling asleep, there should be nothing in between you and your sleep. So no books, no phone, and no light. So if you're not falling asleep within 20 minutes, uh, you by definition have insomnia or difficulty falling asleep. And there's a few main culprits that he talks about that may, that may be causing your insomnia. The first, and these are very obvious, the first is worry. So when you are worried and stressed out, you know there's an increase in the stress hormone cortisol. And cortisol is, again, is this hormone that's trying to keep us awake. So hormone is good in the, uh, cortisol is good in the morning when you want to be aroused. Uh, but when you're going to bed, it's good to have low cortisol. So the second main culprit he talks about is too much food. So we get into a little bit later, but he states here that keeping your core body temperature too high for sleep uh, is is not good. And you raise your core body temperature by eating too much food. And he's going to talk about this a little bit later. So the third one is too little physical activity. So if too little physical activity can actually reduce the production of a muscle hormone that produces promotes sleep. And again, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. And finally, too much spent too much time spent in bright light in the evening. This will activate your melanopsin uh, protein, which I talked about in episode one, and also reduces melatonin hormone. So those are kind of the, the main culprits that may be causing you insomnia. Now, the second question that he wants you to reflect on is, how many times do you wake up during the night? So he he describes fragmented sleep is defined is defined as waking up more than once during the night for at least a few minutes. 
So if you're waking up more than once during the night to, let's say, go to the bathroom or you just happen to wake up, you're getting fragmented sleep. And again, he does a list of reasons that you may be having fragmented sleep. So one is dehydration. Two, ambient temperature being too hot or too cold. Three is acid reflux, which is caused by eating too late in the evening. Four is sleeping with pets. Five, snoring and sleep apnea. And six is other noises. So those are some of the reasons that you may be having fragmented sleep. Now, the third question he wants you to ponder on is, do you feel rested when you wake up in the morning? And if you wake up with an alarm or you're feeling still sleepy when you wake up, you're not getting restorative sleep. So ponder those three questions about uh, about your sleep next time you wake up. So again, he's, he talks more about sleep, but I really wanted to focus on this on this passage about food, timing, and sleep. So remember how I was talking about sleep raising your core body temperature? Eating too late at night is not only bad for your metabolism, but it also affects your sleep. So eating too late at night will interfere both with falling asleep as well as maintaining deep sleep. So he states here that in order to fall asleep, your core body temperature must cool down by at least one degree Fahrenheit. But when we eat, our core body temperature actually goes up and blood rushes to the gut, otherwise known as the core, to help digest and absorb nutrients. So to have good night's sleep, we should have our last meal at least two to four hours before going to bed to ensure that the body is able to cool down. So he does an experiment with mice to see how time-restricted eating affects these mice sleep. So in his lab, he found that time-restricting eating, time-restricted eating for 89 hours, uh, these mice essentially slept better. And they, what he did was he put electrical recordings of their brain and he showed that the sleep that they got was actually better and you know perhaps even more restful. Then he also goes into an anecdotal story where he talks about this man named Jay. So Jay was this 41-year-old man who had an extremely high-stress management job. He had very little time to exercise. And all Dr. Sachin Panda did was simply say, I'm going to suggest time-restricted eating to con- and consolidate your meals within 10 hours each day. So, of course, within a few weeks, this worked. Within a few weeks, he reported that he was sleeping way better. And on top of that, he also lost weight. So his sleep was better. He was falling asleep easier, staying asleep, and he also lost weight. So we kind of go into like hacking your your way to a better sleep. And there's a lot of hacks you can do. In the book, he only talks about two. The first one, and something that people don't realize, is uh, turning turning down your temperature. So it's a good idea to reduce your temperature in your bedroom to about 70 degrees Fahrenheit or lower so that your skin feels cooler. So this is well known, uh, well studied that the lower temperature in your room, uh, the better you will sleep. So the second tip he gives is turning down sound or turning up sound. So depending on whether you sleep better with a white noise machine or sleep better with uh, complete silence, um, there's different tips you can do to either turn the sound up or turn the sound down. So moving along, what about like actual supplements you can take? So we've all heard of melatonin. So melatonin, the hormone that is produced from a pineal gland, um, does this work for producing sleep? And he has this interesting fact that states that a 60-year-old person produces one-half to one-third of the melatonin of a 10-year-old. So I'm going to repeat that again because I thought it was pretty crucial. 
A 60-year-old produces one-half to one-third of the melatonin of a 10-year-old. So as we sleep, or as we age, the amount of melatonin that we're producing goes down. So what he recommends is try taking your melatonin supplement two to three hours before going to bed. So are there any side effects of this melatonin? Uh, Unfortunately, there are. He states that we need to be aware that melatonin can interfere with blood glucose regulation. So taking melatonin after a meal slows down the decline in blood glucose to a normal level. So again, this is not a problem if you're if you're finishing your meals earlier in the day. So you're finishing your meals earlier in the day, let's say like 5, 6 p.m. And by the time you start getting ready for bed, whenever that is, um, your, your melatonin, that, the supplement that you're taking is not going to be interfering with your blood glucose regulation, which can be a problem with people who are obese and diabetic as well. So that's that's the gist of the sleep chapter. He talks a lot more about sleep, but this book is I want to talk talk more about time restricted eating and weight loss and you know overall health. So I'm going to focus the majority of the time on this next chapter, chapter 5, which is time restricted eating, uh, set your clock for weight loss. So one of the main questions that Dr. Sachin Panda is trying to answer in this question is is eating is time restricted eating just as or or is or more important as what you eat. So in 2012, he did an experiment with a mice. And he asked the question, how much of a disease is due to poor diet? And how much is it to do to random, ma- random eating? So he sets up this little experiment. And it's very simple. He took a pair of genetically identical mice, born to the same parents and raised in the same home. And he gave one so a pair of genetically mice. One of these mice had access to a high-fat diet whenever they wanted. And then this other group of mice, they had the same amount of food, but they had to eat all their food within an eight-hour window. So again, one mice eating food whenever they wanted. Other mice eating food within an eight-hour window. Now, now keep in mind that the diet is the exact same for both, for, for both of these mice. They're both eating the exact same thing. The only difference is, is the time window. So what he found was, uh, over the first 12 weeks of the study, that the the mice that were eating whenever they wanted, they developed, you know, metabolic syndrome. The the type of diseases you would see with high amount of calories, you know, high fat, high sugar diet, eating whenever they wanted. He states that, over the first 12 weeks of the study, when the mice ate the same number of calories following the same high-fat, high-sugar diet that in 11,000 other pub- publications has been shown to cause severe metabolic diseases. But within an 8-hour window, they were completely protected from the disease, diseases normally seen within a poor diet. With a poor diet. The time-restricted eating mice didn't gain weight excess. They, they didn't gain excess weight. They had normal blood sugar and normal cholesterol levels. So again, we saw these like profound benefits in mice that ate all their food within a you know a certain feeding window. So, you know, long story short, timing made the magic uh, for this experiment. So we also look at another experiment that he did with mice. So researchers wanted to follow up with an additional study to see if this you know if this time restricted eating actually worked. So they combined their initial caloric, caloric restriction 
study with the clock research. And what, what they did was they gave the same amount of food when the mice woke up versus when the mice, you know, cl- close to the bedtime. And what they saw was when they gave the mice the food, the same amount of food when they first woke up, the mice lost weight and their eating pattern was aligned with their circadian code. So this is one of the you know, primary studies showing that you need to move your, your feeding window earlier in the morning um, because you could still follow time-restricted eating and you can do it pretty much throughout the day, but the most optimal time to do it is in the morning. And then one more study that he talks about is this translation into humans. Like We talked about the mice study, but how about humans? So again, he finds similar results in the human studies. So a group of Harvard researchers and Spanish weight loss nutritionists found that individuals who spread their calories over a long period of time, meaning that they ate the same amount of calories, but later in the night, they didn't lose much weight. But people who ate bigger meals during the day and refrained from eating at night actually lost a substantial amount of weight. This means that regardless of which kind of calorie restriction diet you follow, when you eat is more important than what type of food you eat. So this is a very bold statement, um, but there's complete truth to it. So, you know, take time-restricted eating into, you know, keep, just keep it in mind next time you're, you're trying to lose weight. Time-restricted eating, uh, you know, timing is key. Timing is the magic, he puts it. And remember, time-restricted eating is never, it's not about counting, counting calories. It's just about being more disciplined about when you eat the food. So we're not counting calories. We're just saying within this window, you know, optimal is eight to nine hours. He's st- well, optimal is hopefully within a few hours. But he found that the best result from weight loss comes within eating, with within eating an eight to nine hour window. So let's take a typical time restricted eating day, and like let's let's look at like the actual profound benefits that that we're having. And, you know, when, when you should have this, this window. And as I mentioned earlier, a time-restricted eating window earlier in the day will be better for you. And this is for two main reasons, especially if you're diabetic. So they found that it's healthiest to eat breakfast as early as possible. And the reason is that insulin response is better in the first half of the day and worse in the late night. So insulin, for those of you who don't know, is the hormone that helps move blood blood. Uh, sorry, it's insulin, it's the hormone that moves your glucose from your bloodstream up into your cells. So again, it's moving your glucose from the blood into cells. And what these researchers are finding is that your insulin sensitivity is way higher in the morning. And by night, your insulin response is essentially, you know, it's crippled at night. So for this reason, I think you should be eating your breakfast, you know, Eat your breakfast and all your food earlier in the morning, earlier in the day, because you're more insulin sensitive. And the second, the second reason that you should be eating your your meals earlier in the day is because, again, remember I was talking about melatonin and glucose sensitivity. So as melatonin levels rise, about two to four hours before you're falling asleep, your melatonin rise will not interfere with your your blood sugar. So one of the side effects of melatonin, again, is the impairment of blood sugar. So, again, you should be finishing your meals early and then have the melatonin, your natural melatonin being produced two to four hours, and this melatonin production rise from your pineal gland will not 
affect the the melatonin you know it's not going to be affecting your blood sugar as much so again long story short move, move your window up in the morning so another p- point i want to talk about is snacking so a lot of people like to snack and he asks is snacking is, is it okay for you so again daytime snacking is permitted he states as long as you choose healthy options so snacking it can be okay as long as these options are are healthy and you know you have them during the day and not the night so he has this quote here eating late at night is far worse is is by far the worst choice you can make and it will totally defeat any benefits you've achieved throughout the day first snacking late at night disrupts your digestive clock you reignite your metabolism in your gut liver and throughout your body so remember in the episode one where i was talking about you know the kitchen is closed sign and when you eat again uh you're trying to you're restarting your digestive system uh when you're trying to eat late at night the food won't move as fast throughout your digestive tract you'll end up getting reflux which leads to bad sleep and it's a vicious cycle so uh if you're going to snack earlier in the day again that's that's the main point here and then we go into some frequently asked questions so is time restricted eating for everyone yeah, sh- short answer, yes. Time restricting is for everyone and it should be, um, you know, everyone should implement it if they're trying to, you know, live a healthier life and live, live, a, live a longer life. So time restricting eating is for everyone. Um, one of the side effects you do need to be careful is these prolonged fasting where some people, they just can't simply tolerate 12 hours without food. And a lot of times they'll feel lightheaded or dizzy after 12 hours of eating. Uh, so again, talk to your doctor. Uh, but I'm telling you if, you, if you want profound benefits in losing weight and being healthier, you know, time, time restricted eating is, is the way to go. So can you choose any 12 hours you want? So yes, any schedule is better than no schedule. But again, preferentially move your time restricted eating up in the day earlier so you're more insulin sensitive, uh, better glucose uptake, etc. And then can I combine time-restricted eating with other diets? Absolutely. If you follow a diet and you like that diet, like a paleo, Atkins, keto, whatever it is, uh, can I combine that with time-restricted eating? Absolutely. Uh, And you'll even find more benefits with your diet combined with your time-restricted eating. So some more questions about, about the diet are medications. So medications are not considered food. And you should take it when your, you know, your doctor's orders. And remember in episode one where I mentioned that even medications have circadian component to it. So some medications actually work better when they're taken in the morning morning or at, or at the end of the day. So coffee. As I mentioned in, in part one, you know, what breaks a fast? And I mentioned everything except water is considered breaking a fast. So if you're going to have your morning cup of coffee by itself without breakfast, you still need to remember that this still counts as a moment when you break your overnight fast. So keep that in mind when you're regarding your time-restricted eating window. So even black coffee, even though there's been studies that is showing that, you know, coffee can induce autophagy, you're still considered breaking your time-restricted eating window when you, you know, have your first sip of coffee. So again, anything but water is considered breaking your fast. So, time-restricted eating is very simple. You eat within a certain period of time, 
And he hardly goes into like, you know, what you should be eating. This is not like a diet book. It's all about circadian biology and time-restricted eating. But he does give some guidelines to a list of seven foods that you should stay away from. And this is very obvious. So think of these as the seven rules of successful time-restricted eating. So the first one is no soda, diet, or otherwise. So soda, you don't want to have it, whether it's normal soda or diet soda. Uh, that should be something that should be obviously taken out of your diet. Secondly is no pre- pre-packaged fruit juice or vegetable juice. Third, no breakfast cereal. Fourth, no energy protein or any variety of fruits and nut, and nut bars. So a lot of these bars are, are labeled with, you know, think of like a Cliff Bar or Promax Bar. They're labeled with a bunch of protein. That's great and all, but a lot of them have, you know, very, a high amount of preservatives and sugar. So no energy or protein. Number five is no processed foods that contain corn syrup, fructose, or sucrose. So this is, again, very, very obvious. Six is the no dark chocolate, hot chocolate in the evening. So he states that one five-ounce bar of dark chocolate has the same amount of caffeine as a cup of coffee. So again, no dark chocolate, hot chocolate in the evening. And the last and probably the most important and the hardest, at least for me, is no commercially processed nut butters. So this is definitely one of the hardest for me. I love peanut butter, and he states that he loves peanut butter as well. But if you're looking for that one ingredient in, in peanut in peanut butter, it should just be like the nuts. Skip anything with added sugar or oil. So those are the, the, the main seven, and those are just fairly obvious things you should avoid avoid when you're time-restricted eating. And he goes on to give a list of you know healthy healthy options here. The, he calls it the circadian code shopping list. He gives a list of low glycemic fruits and vegetables that you can eat, uh, certain proteins for animal sources, uh, vegetarian proteins, etc. And uh, th- that that's ex- essentially what he's saying in the time restricted eating chapter. And the next chapter is all about optimizing learning and working. And I don't want to talk too much about this chapter because it's he it's very like obvious points here. Like if, if you get your circadian biology within you know you know in check, you're you're your learning and overall working performance will increase. And that that's really the gist of the of the chapter. Um, so I, I don't want to talk about too much about in that chapter. Again, you can buy the book. It's it's a good book. I recommend reading it. But in that chapter it's very uh you know obvious stuff. If you improve your circadian biology, you're gonna improve your performance and you know work capacity. Uh but I what I, I do wanna dive into is Syncing your exercise to your circadian code, which is chapter seven, the next chapter in this book. And he he has this cool chapter about the effect of exercise on sleep and circadian rhythm. So how how exactly is exercising affecting your circadian rhythm? And in this in this paragraph, he has three main mechanisms by which exercise alone can help you with your sleep and circadian rhythm. So the fir- so there's three. The first one is, uh, is there, he says, is there a specific signal from our muscles that tell our brain to fall asleep? So in fact, there is. So one of them is interleukin-15, IL-15, which is already known to increase bone mass. And we know that IL-15 also has some benefits on sleep. So in one study, rabbits injected with a small amount of IL-15 were found to have better and deeper sleep. And he has a, a, a linked post for the study. So the first mechanism is increase in 
interleukin-15, interleukins or ILs are just, they're, they're cytokines that help, you know, they're chemical messengers in the body. And they, they do such a vast variety of things depending on which interleukin it is. For example, uh, the, the interleukins associated with inflammation are interleukin-1, interleukin-6, TNF, alpha, uh, etc., so these these have a broad range of effect, and they, he found that IL fifteen is the one that's g- gonna be, you know, pertaining to our muscles affecting us, uh, affecting ourselves with sleep. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one is uh, a second. Me- he states that a second mechanism occurs when muscle cells produce another molecule called irisin. So I R I S I N. He states that many obese people have less muscle mass and produce less irisin. And reduced amount of irisin correlates with obstructive sleep apnea. And again, you can research more about this molecule. It's called irisin. It's produced by our muscle cells and it, it helps with you know overall sleep. So first one, interleukin-15, second one, irisin. And the third one is this a completely new mechanism that they're finding out. So... He states that exercise in humans appears to increase the level of an enzyme that is involved in the production of heme, the pigment in our blood that carries oxygen to all tissues. This same, the same pigment is also an important part of the circadian clock, as it tells the clock to turn on and off different genes involved in the metabolism of glucose and fat, as well as the production of hormone-like molecules from the muscles that can go through the bloodstream to affect functioning of the brain and other organs. This is one of the ways exercise can act on the muscle clock. So again, to kind of repeat, he had these mice and he saw that these mice, some of them, they, they, they were lacking a circadian clock everywhere in their body and the brain, and that gave them fragmented sleep. And then they also saw that, you know, these mice had a, a muscle clock. So remember that every single one of your organs, every single one of your cells is on a circadian biology. So he saw these muscle clocks, they, actually, they can actually help regulate the, the brain and sleep as well. So in, in episode one, I talked about food and how food can be a, a regulator. Exercise, again, is, can be something that can override your master clock in the brain and help reg- regulate your circadian rhythm. So those are the three main ways that exercise on sleep and circadian rhythm, uh, you know, exercise can help with your circadian rhythm. And as far as an optimal time to exercise, exercising in the afternoon is the best time to exercise. He states, really, exercising anytime is better than no time, but you want to do it later. I mean, you, you want to kind of avoid exercising right before you go to bed. That's obvious, again, because of the cortisol issue. So one of the, one of the cooler passages I want to talk about and kind of end this, end this episode two with is timing meals and improvement of exercise performance. So can time-restricted eating actually help with your exercise performance? And he goes on to prove three different ways in which time-restricted eating can be, benef- can be beneficial to your performance. So the first one is the improvement of, uh, in muscle mass. So he, he, Dr. Sachin Panda had this experiment where when a mice ate for only 12 hours, they never saw a reduction in muscle mass. So that's a common myth where if you go such such a long period without eating, like let's say, you know, 12 hours, 16 hours, that you think your muscle is just going to fall off your body. But that's a complete myth. And then he found that 
only the fat mass was reduced and not the muscle. So don't be scared if you, if you're trying to if you're trying to gain weight, gain muscle mass, uh, don't be afraid of time restricted eating. You kind of get the best of both worlds when you're time restricted eating. Just make sure you don't drop your calories so much to where you're actually losing losing muscle mass. So if you're getting the right amount of calories, let's say two to three thousand calories, and you're trying to gain muscle, as long as you do it within a time restricted eating window, you're not gonna lose you're not gonna lose muscle mass. And then he states that if the mice ate a healthy diet within an eight to ten hour to eight to ten hours, they gradually increased their muscle mass. And after thirty six weeks, they had a ten to ten to fifteen percent more muscle mass than mice that ate whenever they wanted. So the first one is the muscle mass. Again, I'm talking about how timing meals improve exercise performance. Now, the second uh, exercise performance, you know, benefit that we're talking about is uh, an endurance exercise capacity. So, uh, it, time restricted eating is it's going to help with their endurance exercise capacity. And why is this important? Well, he states that endurance training helps muscle do two hugely beneficial metabolic adaptations. The first one, muscle learns to absorb more glucose from the blood when food is available so that there is a larger store of glucose and glycogen to use during that endurance training. And it also learns to adapt to an alternative energy source when all your stored glucose or when all your stored glycogen is used up. So what what I'm trying to say is if time-restricted eating is helping your endurance training and endurance training is beneficial to your health. So... That's the second point. The last point is an, an improvement in motor coordination. So overall motor coordination. This is the third benefit. And what he did in his lab was he put mice in a rotating drum. And they had to balance themselves on this drum. And he, he found that if they ate within a ten hour, 8 to 10 hour window, they saw that these mice were able to stay on the drum 20% longer. So he's, he kind of ends it by saying motor coordination is important throughout our lifespan, but it is essentially important as we age. So improvement of motor coordination also happens when you're time-restricted eating. Now to kind of end off this part two, we're, we're talking about adapting to the ultimate disruptor, which is light and screens. So we talked about activity, we talked about sleep, and can we, can we kind of adapt to this ultimate disruptor which is light lighting and screens so we know that we live in a 24-hour news cycle and we also live in a time displaced world where if you go online the virtual world literally has no night and day there's always something to look at there's always you know a new cat video there's always you can always zoom with your friends you can always read political articles and what this created in us is a lifestyle that completely disrupt our circadian rhythm and you remember in episode one where i was talking about the different types of jet lag well this is the digital jet lag that he's he's referring to where you know our body is in one location but our mind is operating in another you know we're we're constantly exposed to this this uh this virtual world where there's no there's no night and day and this can be essentially you know, very disruptive to our sleep answer kidding biology leading to chronic health problems so he talks about ways to adapt to the ultimate light disruptor and one one of the main paragraphs i want to focus on is the the blue light filtering glasses because this has been all the craze within the past you know 10 10 years 
it's been all about blue light blocking glasses. Do they work? Absolutely. I recommend you wearing your blue light glasses anytime you're looking at a screen or before you go to bed. So he talks about one of the first people to invent these blue light blocking glasses, which I think is super interesting because they've, like I said, they've been all the craze. And he states that in 2010, which is you know, 10 years ago, they had this man by the name of um, Kazuo Subota. This man was a professor of ophthalmology at uh, a graduate school in medicine in Tokyo. And this ophthalmologist professor, he had been witnessing, witnessing disruptions in circadian uh, biology in these Japanese kids. So these young kids were spending way too much time in front of the TVs and playing video games and they weren't getting enough sleep. They were feeling t- feeling tired all day. So what he decided to do was, you know, invent these blue lights. You know, he had this simple idea, let's make blue light filtering eyeglasses and these might be extremely helpful for reducing eye stress and also improving sleep. So I guess we can kind of accredit, you know, I guess I haven't looked looked it up, but I don't think there's any other research stating before 2010, there are these blue light blocking glasses, so we can contribute it, the founding of blue light blocking glasses to uh, this guy, uh, Professor of Ophthalmology Sabota, uh, this this guy in Japan who, who essentially invented blue lights. And now they're being sold for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You know, a pair is worth a hundred $200. You can find some cheaper ones that probably don't work on Amazon. Personally, I do wear blue light like blue light blocking glasses. I use the ones from Felix Grey. Those are the best company. Uh, if you want blue light blocking glasses, get the ones from Felix uh, Grey. I use them during the daytime when I'm looking at my screen. The blue light blocking glasses I use at nighttime are by True Dark, which is Dave Asprey's company. And these ones are actually tinted. And these ones I put on before bed, and these will block out all the blue light. Again, when you're exposed to blue light late at night, the amount of melatonin production decreases substantially. So wear your blue light blockers, not only to protect your eyes when you're reading screens, but also at night to help give you better sleep. So that is part two uh, in episode two of The Circadian Code by Dr. Sachin Panda. Um, next week, I'm going to talk about the last chapter, which is optimizing your circadian health. But again, remember the importance of time-restricted eating, avoiding blue light, and giving yourself a better circadian biology and overall health. So thanks for listening, and tune in next week to talk about part three of to hear me talk about part three of the circadian code by Dr. Sachin Panda.